Welcome to Point by Point, conversations, interviews, and legal commentary for today's business professionals. Brought to you by Waller. Welcome to Point by Point. This is Waller's Chief Business Development Officer and the host of the podcast, Morgan Ribeiro. On today's episode, I am joined by Wes Scott and Kevin Tran, partners in Waller's Corporate Transactions Practice Group, who work with a variety of financial institutions, and Jim Atkins from Artisan Advisors, a firm led by former bank CEOs that work with clients to navigate an increasingly complex operating and regulatory environment. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Today, we are going to discuss the current state of affairs for banks, considering the effects of the pandemic and the fast approaching presidential election. Obviously, this is a lot to cover. It's a big topic. So we will focus on a few key areas. First, what is happening in the economy and and how that is particularly impacting banks. Second, how banks can embark upon the strategic planning process. And third, implementing that plan. And lastly, how the election could impact the current operating environment. To kick things off, I'd like to hear from each of you to better understand what the last six months or so has looked like for you in advising your bank clients. Um, So, Wes, I'll start with you. Thank you, Morgan. I appreciate it. As a capital markets and securities lawyer by trade, I tend to view the last six months in terms of three different buckets. One would be mergers and acquisitions. Two would be capital markets and offering work. And three would be the daily SEC reporting compliance work. I would say what I've seen in the last six months is M&A has largely dropped off the table, not seeing new deals firing up, uh, not seeing a lot of M&A activity continuing that wasn't close to the finish line before COVID hit and clamped the economy down. With respect to offering work, however, by the contrary, we are seeing quite a bit of activity uh, in the capital market space. A number of offerings cross our desk on a daily basis, uh, whether we represent clients on the issuer side or as investors, and frequently we'll opine as to matters with respect to other placement agents and banks, investment banks. But we're seeing quite a few offerings in those spaces right now, primarily senior debt, sub-debt, and some variation of preferred or depository shares. With respect to SEC reporting work, that is what I like to refer to as the show must go on. The SEC has not granted any real reprieve for registrants and reporters during the COVID pandemic. Rather, they've actually ramped up their disclosure requirements for all issuers during this time. In fact, they've released several different statements, in which case we've had to counsel our clients regularly regarding COVID, its impact, and how those real-life operational impacts flow through to their public reports into the marketplace. That all being said, you know, while we are seeing an uptick in offering work and kind of the daily grind with respect to reporting work, I think largely as much as banks want to talk to their lawyers, really right now, I think they're focused on the blocking and tackling of running a successful bank. Two basic tenants, you know, limiting the creditworthy borrowers and gathering the deposit base where they can get it. So at this point, we're just trying to help our clients get through this and get out the back end successfully and in a sound capital position. Yeah, I, you know, I think Wes hit some very good points. You know, the banks, this has been an incredible six months for the banks. I mean, they have had to deal with their own balance sheets. They've had to deal with learning to keep employees safe during this time period. They've learned to deliver products during this time period. So it's one of those that you're going to tell your grandchildren about, you know, this 
six month period. And going forward, we're, we will have remaining challenges. But I think, you know, one of the biggest things that the banks have had to do is to learn how to deliver products in a new way. And uh, I, it's been amazing to me, my clients, how creative they've been. You know, some have gone to concierge services and the drive up appointments and just ramped up all sorts of uh, technological capabilities that in many cases, I don't think they really understood how, how they work. And so the banks have just done a yeoman's job. And on top of all this, besides dealing with internal issues and, and customer issues, don't forget the banks were a big part of the PPP program. And so as to help the country get through this pandemic, community banks really picked it up. And the banks of all, you know, not only community banks, but all size banks, but the banking industry really picked it up and delivered a tremendous value to the country to get through this pandemic. So it's one for the ages. And uh, I think that's why, you know, I'm, I'm very proud proud of the banking industry, to be honest with you, that they, they've done this. And uh, I think they've grown tremendously. And so it, it'll be really interesting to see how we go in 2021. And, you know, obviously your background and, and the work that you do with your financial services clients is more so on the regulatory front. I'd love to hear from you on what you've seen over the last six months or so. No, absolutely. Thank you again for, for having me. I want to build on Jim's comment about PPP and how involved banks are on in that program. You know, over the past six months, I think a lot of banks have been trying to navigate not just PPP, but pretty much all of the emergency relief that the regulators have provided, you know, either authorized through Congress and a lot of that took the form of separate lending facilities. Each of these facilities had their own gauntlet of regulations and terms that a lot of banks had to really understand themselves and make sure that their borrowers and customers understood these as well. And there was another consideration of given all of these requirements put forth by regulators, is it even worth our time to participate in certain programs? The PPP was a little different because all of the loans were forgiven, but other lending facilities like the Main Street program, that certainly wasn't the case. So, and, and each of these lending facilities had enough variation in terms that banks had to be really thoughtful uh, about how they approached these programs. And since that's been dominating a lot of banks for the past six months, you know, recently in, in, with conversations, you can get a sense that they're somewhat tired of this process and understandably so. I mean, they've been devoting a lot of their time day in and day out dealing with these programs. I mean, and despite the fatigue though, I think there's some excitement that eventually dealing with PPP, dealing with a lot of this emergency relief goes away and they have to go back to not only the traditional business of banking, but given all the things they've learned and implemented over the course of the past six months, like Jim indicated, how are they planning to innovate, especially given the, the what the regulatory landscape, how that shakes out post-election. Jim, so I want to go back to, you know, you were mentioning, obviously, this is such a historic time in the banking industry and, and something that we'll look at back on for decades. Uh, Artisan Advisors has recently launched a series of webinars titled Survive or Thrive, where you all cover topics and explore key issues facing community bankers as they work to survive or or thrive in this post-pandemic economy. Can you give us just a quick overview of the topics that you all have covered on the first two episodes and and generally what you're hearing from banks in terms of the lay of the land? We felt it was important to put this out because a lot of our clients have these questions. The reason we we did this was because our clients were really coming to us and asking these questions. And so we decided let's make a a seminar series out of this, a webinar series. But in the first two, you know, first one, what we did was we wanted to lay the, the groundwork to set the stage. We wanted to say, 
show everybody, here's where we are. Here's the shape of the economy. Here's the shape of the industry. And this is the, the lay of the land that we have to look at. And what are the expectations of the experts and, and the soothsayers around, around the country of what's going to happen in 2021? So the first webinar was kind of an economics presentation of where we are. So with that in mind, we wanted to build on that first one and go to the second one, which was starting really the strategic planning process during a downturn. When you're strategic planning, when you're doing your own planning, you have to have a thesis of what your future, what, what, the, what things are going to look like. And so here in this particular, the second one, we encourage institutions to kind of come up with their own thesis. What do you think the economy is going to look like? It may be different for me. I may think it's going to look like this, or I may think the industry is going to go through a different type of, um, a different kind of process or a different kind of road. But you have to come up, your bank has to come up with its thesis. You know, how does it perceive what it's going to do? And then the other thing that we try to handle in the second one is strategic planning in a downturn, because I think most experts think we're going to have a, a difficult 2021. It's a matter of how difficult. How does that differ in a downturn? How does that look? Normally, and a lot of banks will do this, they'll fall into a little bit of a routine when they strategic plan. Okay, we got to get our plan done. Let's get it ratified and we're done for one year. Well, that certainly shouldn't be the way it is anyway, but definitely in 2000 and 2021, it shouldn't be like that because you have a very serious and very difficult road ahead. In my opinion, as a banker, you have to come up with that. And so that second seminar series talks about coming up with your own outlook. And then it explores also why could that be different? If you're challenged capital-wise, your strategic plan is going to look different than if you have if you're sitting on a lot of dry powder. So we talk about that issue. We also talk about uh, regulatory issues. How do the regulators? How do their attitudes change? And how do their actions change? Certainly, we change. You know, the banks change and, and do different things in period of downturn. The regulators are the same way. They're going to change their attitude. They may become less agreeable at some point. They may not want you to change and, and do something very different with your plan. What you with your bank. So there's a lot of things that the regulators can do. And then we also talk about what opportunities there might be for you because in adversity, there are opportunities and we will see some banks take advantage. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but take advantage of vacuums that other banks are not filling. And I think that's important. So we talked about that. And then we talked again about capital planning in a downturn. So those are the first two. The next two we're going to talk about, third one that we're going to be doing with Waller is, are you ready? Do you think you're ready? And we're going to explore that question. And then, of course, the last one, we'll talk about the election, which we're all very excited about and interested to see how that'll do. Great. So you all recommend that the banks go through, financial institutions go through a SWOT analysis in, in light of their view of the economic condition of the U.S. economy and the banking industry over the next 12 to 24 months months or so. Considering the effects of the pandemic and just the number of unknowns, the election being one of those unknowns, how should banks analyze and prepare for the future? You have to have a really good self-assessment. There's no question about it. And it has to be brutally honest. You have to go through your strengths, your weaknesses, assess what opportunities could be out there, and certainly the threats. One thing that a pandemic or any kind of exogenous variable, any kind of, especially a black swan kind of event that we have, is going to really 
test whether your strengths are really strengths, and it's going to test whether how weak your weaknesses really are, because it's it, it could possibly exacerbate those types of things. So you have to start with a really good self-assessment of what you do well as a bank, because what you do well as a bank now may not be that great in 2021 if we're in a situation like we could possibly be in. For instance, if you really like commercial real estate, really into financing strip malls and things like that, that world's going to change. So that strength that you have, that underwriting strength that you have is going to be in jeopardy. And that strength actually could become a weakness because right now, as a lot of our bankers on the line will know, is that if you have a, a strip mall or a retail type property, those are under pressure. Rents are very difficult in those situations. So a really strong self-assessment of your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And then you're going to have to basically look in your crystal ball and see how those are going to be affected by this pandemic. We've got six months. We have some baseline. We know how things work with the pandemic. We know which industries are very sensitive to this. So it's not like we don't have any information. We do have a bucket of information that we can take and apply to our self-assessment. So that's where I would start in the planning process. I think that's a good segue into my next question, which is, you know, obviously the pandemic has caused financial institutions to rethink how their work is done, especially when it comes to things like staff and branches and bank operations. How might institutions address these areas? It's been an interesting thing. There's always unintended consequences of when things happen. And I think one of the unintended consequences of the pandemic, as terrible as it is, uh, it has forced banks to really look at how they operate from a cost basis and how they deliver product. And I've seen, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the earlier comments, I've seen banks do things that I don't even think they thought they could do. I've seen a number of our clients cutting costs. Uh, you know, this this pandemic has led to a round of cost cutting that I think is going to continue. I see banks moving ahead in their digital platforms and their in their fintech type opportunities. And I think that this pandemic has pushed that effort with community banks, especially, it's probably pushed it up at least five years because banks have been adopting these types of things, but banks uh, have been slow, especially maybe some of the smaller banks now with this pandemic and all the things that they've had to deal with. I think now the bankers and the community bankers, especially understand, you know what, we're in this digital thing too. And as a result of this pandemic, I think we've really, you know, pushed this along. And so I'm going to think we're going to come into a period after we get through 2021. And once we get through that, we'll get through it. I think we're in for a period of tremendous innovation for the banking industry and even the smaller banks, which sometimes have a tendency to lag. So it'll be interesting to see 22 and 23, uh, how those years come out, because I, I think we're in a very exciting time for banking at once, but we got to get through 2021. Wes, I want to move over to you. Accessing the capital markets can be risky, especially in an, a time of a economic downturn. Are you seeing that raising capital right now, the opportunities are out there? Absolutely. I have seen somewhat real-time reports. One of the more recent ones I saw was from May of this year, where uh, during the month of May, uh, financial institutions have raised roughly around $21 billion debt and equity capital, which is actually up about $15 billion year over year from May of 2019. And it's actually, according to the report that I saw, the highest level of capital raising activity since about May 2009 in the Great Recession era. But primarily, uh, what we're seeing there are issuances of senior debt coming in at number one. 
uh, you know, ranking, followed shortly thereafter by some form of preferred equity or depository share. And then somewhat surprisingly to me, rounding out the third place position uh, was sub-debt. Common stock issuances have largely been depressed in this period of time and almost don't even register remove the needle at this point. A lot of that activity is driven by the fact that you have willing and active purchasers who are willing to invest in community bank debt because those purchasers are seeing those investments as relatively safe and stable investments, uh, given the capital regulatory requirements placed on these banks, the regulatory oversight of the banks, et cetera, coupled with uh, a little bit higher coupon than they might find other forms of investments for fixed income products. So I think right now, especially in the last couple months, we've seen quite a bit of activity in the capital markets. In fact, I guess in my practice, I'm seeing anywhere between three or five of these deals cross my desk in some way, shape, or form, whether we're on the issuer side, investor side, or weighing in uh, on behalf of a placement agent. I would also say uh, beyond simply the capital markets, and this is to kind of round out a discussion I, I talked about a bit ago, I think you're going to see quite a bit of M&A activity maybe late this year, early next year, given the disruption and dislocation of, of certain banks. I, I think there'll be plenty of opportunities for M&A activity as we reach the latter part of the year around 2021 into the next year. So these capital raising activities largely are putting dry powder on the books and strengthening the balance sheet, which will open up various avenues of opportunity for banks to deploy that capital in various fashions later this year or next year, whether that's through acquisition, whether that's through organic growth, whether that's reinvestment in technology, branches, et cetera. But Right now, I would certainly say it is quite an active market. And and what advice are you giving to your clients right now as they're you know thinking about the capital considerations? Number one, you need to assess your risk tolerance. You don't need to go out and raise a bunch of capital, particularly debt capital that you're going to have to repay in service if you're not in the financial condition to do so. So take stock of your risk tolerance at this time. Number two, what is the cost of capital? In today's economic environment, where rates are historically low, the cost of capital at this point is relatively cheap, which is why I think you're seeing a flood of these types of offerings. And number three, what's the impact on your regulatory capital and leverage ratios? Clearly, that's always under constant consideration, and you need to take that into effect and in consideration before you launch an offering. In these times, this is not a time to be light on capital. In fact, I think anything you want to err on the side of having a little too much capital. Uh, I tend to tell people when, when investors are willing to put money in your hand, you close your hand. And that's one of these times. So uh, now is a good time to get in. If you want to get in, it's a good time to raise capital for a rainy day that continues to perpetuate during the pandemic. So I would say now is a good time to get in. Uncertainty is the word right now. And of course, with that uncertainty comes a lot of institutions need to be incredibly flexible. So when we talk, when we go back to the conversation around strategic planning and SWOT analysis, I mean, you know, having to be flexible in your strategy and what direction you're heading your organization in, that's just such a challenge right now as we think about this. And I think so many of you have offered up sort of practical tips throughout, but I always like to kind of end these sessions with any practical advice that you could give. And I know Wes, you provided a number of tips earlier as it related to capital consideration 
questions, but any kind of closing remarks, practical tips or advice that you would offer up to your banking clients, given all of this uncertainty. Kevin, I'll I'll start with you just um, since you were talking most recently about just the election and regulatory environment. As a former regulator, I'm, I'm most likely biased here, but my advice has been to communicate and work with your regulators as you navigate this this time. It should come as no surprise that in a heavily regulated industry, it's imperative that you have and maintain a good relationship and open lines of communication with regulators because again, as a former regulator, we're not out we weren't out to get anybody. You know, the mandate was always to preserve the safety and soundness of the financial environment. And that involves every player within the environment, community banks, regional banks, large banks, regulators. It's And so it's important that you don't operate in a black box and go about thinking or predicting or acting on assumptions when you can talk to your regulator and have them help you navigate the landscape. I mean, they're not going to do your job for you. But again, having open lines of communication to better understand how regulators are approaching exams, how they're interpreting certain regulations, and and how will help you not only comply uh, from a compliance perspective, but help inform your business decisions as you go forward. Jim, any advice from your end? Well, I think that we're going into planning season right now. It's, it's starting in October. A lot of banks get into planning. I think going into your planning session with uh, eyes wide open, starting a um, Starting your plan with a really strong uh, self-aware self-assessment, if you will, making sure you really understand what you do well, what you don't do well. There are going to be a lot of changes in 2021. And so what you do well now may not be what you do well next year. So you really have to understand how sensitive your strengths are to possible economic issues related to the pandemic and also issues related to the election, as, as Kevin was talking about. You need to make sure that you have a high degree of flexibility. Plans are always, uh, they don't always work out according to the way you'd like them to. But what you can do to have good flexibility in your plans is to focus and make sure you have capital, which I think was what Wes was talking about. Uh, Capital makes everything a lot more flexible. When I look back at 2010 and 12 during the, the Great Recession, the banks that thrived, the banks that made it, had capital. And I think Wes made a point earlier that capital's cheap and, you know, you just don't want to go willy nilly, but I'd rather have more capital than less. And so if it's a good time and your institution is in a situation that you can raise some capital and that capital, you know, could be used not only for offensive things like taking advantage of opportunities that are going to be out there, but also you never know. I mean, there you may need that capital for negative things. I remember going back in the 2010 and 12 and there are some banks, clients of ours raised TARP. Remember the old TARP thing, as we all remember. And they thought they were going to buy banks with it and do all sorts of things. Well, some of these banks needed that to cover loan losses. So capital is always good. I agree with Wes and Kevin that a prudent strategic plan should assess the capital levels that you have. And those capital levels uh, have to support that plan and also not only support that plan, but also support those possible negative instances or things that may come up that you just weren't aware of. So my that's my suggestion. Good, strong plan, 
assess your, your, your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. If you need some help doing that, you know, you've got to find people at Waller. You've got, you've got, there's people out there that can help you do that. And then I think, uh, make sure that, uh, the capital component is looked at. And again, if you can get some, some capital at a, at an inexpensive level, I vote yes. I mean, I think it's a wise thing to do. So that's my, my suggestion. Great. Thanks. And, uh, Wes, anything you would add to that? It works for you. If it works for your bank, now would be the time to strike while the market's hot. Capital is king. It's never a bad thing at this point in time to have capital because, as Jim said, it provides you flexibility, it provides you avenues to survive. I think we'll start to see opportunities percolate later, maybe later this year, probably more so late spring, mid-year next year, hopefully, as we start to exit the pandemic and we get some certainty around the presidential election. But at this point in time, if you haven't tapped the markets and you need to or you want to or it makes sense, now is the time to do that. And having that insurance in your back pocket, so to speak, is always a great thing to have. Wonderful. Well, I want to remind our listeners, again, that if they're interested in in learning more on these topics, to go to Artisan Advisors' website and to register for the next two webinar sessions, one being on October 29th and the last one being on December 5th. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Point by Point, brought to you by Waller. Visit the news and insights section of our website to listen to more episodes, subscribe to the podcast, find show notes and more.